This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. RRRR, immaculate reception. R, your weekly dose of all things medical and psychological. I'm Dr Autonomy and today I'm thrilled to be bringing you the Mother's Day edition of Radiotherapy. Yep, given that it's Mother's Day today, we've decided to use the entire hour to celebrate women. Specifically, women who are mums and in even more specific terms, women who are mums who are also health professionals. We've created an extra special panel for you today consisting wholly of mums who are also health professionals. And as you might have guessed, we didn't have to look too far as it just so happens that many of us regulars here on Radiotherapy are also mums. It's just that we don't usually bring that fact into the front and centre of the show. Well, not intentionally anyway. But today's different. Not only are we going to be bringing you health professionals on radio waves this morning, but we're also going to be mums on your radio waves this morning, overting all the messy, beautiful, life-affirming, chaotic, exhausting and peanut butter smeared realities of what it's like to sit in both roles simultaneously. So let me tell you who we've got on the panel. Sitting beside me is a mother of two beautiful kids aged four and seven who also happens to be a sought-after and very talented local GP in our community. You might know her as Miss Medic and I'm lucky enough to also know her as my best mate. Beside Miss Medic sits another mother, this time a mother to three beautiful kids aged eight, six and three who also happens to be a highly regarded paediatrician and sought-after speaker as director of the Australian Child Health Poll, Dr Anthea Rhodes. Finally, there's me, mother of a very busy and beautiful two-year-old boy and also a practising psychologist, known to you as Dr Autonomy. First today, we're going to be talking about the top five questions that Miss Medic gets asked by fellow parents in the schoolyard. And of course, we'll also be talking about the answers to these. Next, we're going to hear from Dr Anthea Rhodes about Australia's top, Australians' top 10 health concerns when it comes to children. And I suspect these will surprise you. They surprised me. We're also going to spend some time today talking about why Mother's Day can be difficult. It's not a joyful day for everyone, uh, a fact that as health professionals we're reminded of regularly. And so we'll also be discussing this slice of Mother's Day too, as well as where to go for support. So, <coughs> grab a cup of coffee or put that cold tea and toast that was made three hours ago aside and stay with us as we bring you all this and more until 11 o'clock. Good morning, everyone. Miss Medic, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Dr Autonomy. <laughs> what were you greeted with in bed this morning? Well, what did my Keep morning it consist of? <laughs> <laughs> it's Mother's Day, not Father's Day. <laughs> I I woke up at 6.30 to our two-year-old toddler yelling out, Mama, Dada. <laughs> and this was a surprise because it's been 5am more commonly recently, so 6.30 was pretty good. And Dada and toddler then went up to the other end of the house and hung out while I stayed in bed with the computer and prepped for the show today. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Mother's Day juggle. Yeah. Uh, and then I got up and was greeted by croissants and flowers, which was pretty beautiful. Ham and cheese croissants, and some of them had had the ham and cheese pulled off and eaten and then spat out, but there were still some good bits to, <laughs> to grab. Um, and then as I got dressed and ready for the show, um, 
I was putting my flowers in water, which meant I had to get into the laundry to get a vase. And toddler also noticed that the laundry door was open and got to the hot water service and thought it was really fun to press the button and my reaction when I saw him doing that must have been so big when I kind of grabbed him and put him out of the laundry he thought that was the funniest thing ever and so we spent most of the rest of the morning with him trying Trying to get back in there yeah (laughs) and then laughing hysterically when I grabbed him and and took him out of there um but here I am at 10 o'clock made it to the studio and chatting to you that is is the Mother's Day struggle. I love how, it. How was your Mother's Day morning? Oh, it was lovely actually. I got some beautiful handmade cards and really thoughtfully chosen gifts from my children, which was super cute. Oh. My daughter bought me um, a headband because she's a little bit sick of me borrowing hers. <laughs> Uh, I did see you in her headband the other day. Yeah, I know, and I it I pretty know. cute. And so she's bought me my own. It's got bats on it. It's pretty mm. cute. Um, and I even got served some pancakes that were made in my image. So they were, <laughs> if mummy was a pancake, this is what I look like, pancakes. And it was delicious and I'm very, very grateful. I would have loved to see those pancakes. <laughs> I have a photo. I can't wait. I'm sure it might be on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it might be. And Dr Anthony. Thea Rhodes, good morning to you. Good morning. How was your Mother's Day morning? Look, it was pretty special, I have to say. I got breakfast in bed, which um, involved a very long menu that had been carefully crafted with a clear sort of indication as to which item on the menu I might be wise to choose. <laughs> whilst all of them were on there, I don't know that they were actually all available. <laughs> so I, I took the hint and made the choice for the super deluxe special, which essentially was in, served in bed, so... I was pretty happy with that. It included beverages, juice and coffee, wow. uh, poached eggs, uh, strawberry avocado flour. I'll let you imagine what that may have been like <laughs> with a side of butter, no less. <laughs> <laughs> it was very nice. I <laughs> love it. Uh, so, guys, let's continue as we have started today, you know, putting it all on the table, what it's like to be health professionals and mums and juggling the two all at once. And my first question to you both is going to be, do you have any funny anecdotes? Because, of course, we all try to keep these roles quite separate, but that's not always possible. And I'm wondering if you've got any funny anecdotes about when the two have blurred. I've definitely got something in mind. (laughs) Uh, Look, the first one that comes to mind for me is when I was going back to work after having two children, so my kids were maybe one and three and a half and um you know life was pretty busy and I was working part-time as a general practitioner and this one day I was examining a patient listening to their chest with my stethoscope and I looked down at the stethoscope to see a squash sultana stuck to it (laughs) and I had to just sort of pick it off Surreptitiously. (laughs) I was just horrified. But, you know, it's that kind of my two worlds just came smashing together in a form of a, you know, a squash sultana on a stethoscope. And it made me realise too um, that I really needed a separate work bag to my everyday (laughs) bum bag. So, um, you know, I learned from that lesson. Darling, I need a new handbag. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) if you've got to. (laughs) I love it. Anthea, any, yeah. any oh, look, things think, Lots on? of things are filling my mind thinking about this, but I guess um, I think you said amusing. I, I decided to laugh because I thought it was the only way to, to perhaps survive the experience, but a tale I've got is 
relates to an episode that happened at work. I work at the children's hospital and I had, I was, yeah, back at work after my second child and my kids were in the staff creche and I was doing some reasonably long days trying to get through my training and I'd collected them up at, you know, about half past five and they were pretty fractious. They were two and three at the time and stepped into the lift and I'd just been in the behaviour clinic for the afternoon where I'd been consulting around how you might manage difficult behaviour, you know, in a very sort of expert way as you do. And a family stepped into the lift alongside me who'd been in clinic earlier that day and my two-year-old proceeded to have the most sort of horrific, spectacular tantrum (laughs) that you might imagine on the floor in the lift as I stood there struggling to kind of manage the whole situation. And the people that I'd been in clinic with earlier that day were looking at me to see how I might model what I had advised (laughs) one might do. And I did my best at that and, and sort of managed to get out of the lift and we were all smiling at the I guess the challenges that came and the reality that came with that moment but later and I found it pretty challenging and later when I saw that family in clinic some weeks later they actually told me about how fantastic that was for them to see Mm. me actually having to be real and deal with reality and that it wasn't easy which is what I'd said to them earlier that day as well and that you know not only are we doctors and professionals but we're real people and in that moment I was very much a mum as well. Absolutely. We often talk in psychology, I guess, about the importance of being your genuine, authentic self, you know, in the room with people. And I think it's the same across health professions. Um, And, you know, what a beautiful example of just this is the reality. Yep, (laughs) that's right. And I think, you know, as more and more we hear from our patients and from from families that they want to hear people are real and they want to see you being authentic and that doesn't mean you have to be their best friend or share your most intimate details and and shouldn't but wherever you can being real I think really helps with that therapeutic Mm. relationship. I definitely have found that patients love to hear that I'm a mum and that it does add a level of um, a little bit of strength behind the things that I'm saying more you know not it, it, perhaps even more the, than the fact that I'm a doctor, that it's that I'm a mum and I know, I know what this is like. I know how hard it is to have a, a sick baby that's getting repeated viral illnesses, and are, you know this is something that we see quite commonly. A child starts uh, childcare, for instance, around the age of one, and the parents are in sort of every two or three weeks with a new viral illness with this child, and. Their, you know, their underlying concern is there's something wrong with my kid that they're getting this sick all the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I tell them kids at this age get 12 viral illnesses a year. These are just viral illnesses due to the exposure. And I know how hard this is. This just sucks. Like <laughs> I know what it's like to mom have a to child that, fe- that feels like this child is sick all the time, but there's nothing wrong with your baby. Mm. This is just part and parcel. And I think that that conversation is... It, it's so much more meaningful when it comes from a mum who goes, yeah, this real, it's just horrible. You'll feel like you're here all the time. Yes, that's normal. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting because in psychology, it's, I, I think it's fair to say it's a controversial area, you know, self-disclosure about your personal life, probably the same in general practice and as a paediatrician as well. Um it's definitely something that we talked a lot about in our training about how much of your personal life to disclose. And I know when I started working at the 
private practice where I currently work uh, and I was looking at people's bios online as I was putting mine together, I was really shocked to see that one of my colleagues had in her bio that she was a mother and I, I went and talked to her about this and said, I would never put that in my bio. You know, we've been taught to be really careful about self-disclosure and, you know, tell me why you've decided to do that and, and we had this really lovely conversation about it and I think since that time I have softened a bit and I do sometimes disclose to clients that I am a mum but it's not something that I always do and in psychology uh, I think the training would say that it's not always beneficial you know it's definitely controversial (sighs) where do you two sit on that is it do all your patients know that you're a mum is it something that you're quite careful about disclosing I I think it's really interesting area as you've you've highlighted and I I think it's probably different for different situations for me and at the end of the day, when I'm there seeing someone as a health professional, as a paediatrician, I'm there in that role and that's what I'm mainly there for, for them. So the fact that I'm a parent is not at the front and centre of that communication, but sometimes it comes out through discussion and where it's appropriate, you know, I will be realistic and, and authentic about my experience. But I think it's really important as well to know that just because you're a parent or a mother, your experience doesn't necessarily echo the experience of the person alongside you. And so in the same way, not to... I guess, overcall being able to understand or empathise with that person because everyone's situation is really different. Mm. Um, so it, it's tricky, but perhaps also with social media, I think we're seeing more and more people are sharing more about themselves and that trend, that culture, if you like, is perhaps creeping into the healthcare industry as well. Miss mm. mm. Medic. Look, I think it's pretty... Um, open to most of my patients uh, and part in part that is because of the nature of general practice I mean they all saw me pregnant <laughs> um, <laughs> there's no sort of hiding that um, they also there's that transition that happens that where you were working full-time then you're part-time and they read they know that that's because I've got young children um, I guess so there's probably an understanding of it even when it's not sort of blatantly said. Um, some people actually ask me if I have children and if that's the case, I obvious, I answer truthfully. Um, and look, I guess my thinking is it's relevant in some consultations more than it is in others and it, de- it depends on the patient that I'm talking to. Mm. Um, uh, and I think, like has already been alluded to, if it's helpful, then I don't see, I don't see that being a problem disclosing that, um, but I think, but like what Anthea also said, it's not necessarily the you know the right at the front of what's going on there. You are fundamentally their healthcare provider. The consult is about them and making sure it doesn't become about you and your experiences. But if your experiences can somehow lead to helping them, then it's probably useful to disclose in some circumstances. Mm. We've probably, I'm I'm sure you've experienced as I have, the tricky question was, well, what would you do if it was your child? And, you know, I find that one really hard and I think I'd be really interested to hear around the table what other people do as well. And I I find myself being really careful not to answer about what I would do if it was my child because we're there talking about 
the, the family's child. We're not here talking about my child and every situation is different. But at the same time, I want to be honest and I don't want to suggest that, you know, I have different priorities or thresholds for my own children because mm. what I'm recommending for that family and their child is certainly what I see to be in their best interests. That's really hard. And parents often say that. They want to know that. If it was your child or do you have a child? And then it's followed with, well, what would you do for mm. your child? Mm. Yeah. Look, I think that that has come up for me um, and I have actually found myself saying to children, uh, to patients in the past, look, if this is my child, I would just go and get this checked out with a specialist. You know, I, I, I have found myself saying that sort of thing. And the other area that this um, comes up is some of the optional vaccinations. Patients are very keen to yeah. know when I have used, or sometimes when I have... Um, whether I'm vaccinating my kids with, say, the optional meningococcal vaccines or the flu vaccines. Um, and, look, in those instances, I'm often... I'm very pro-vaccination and I have vaccinated my kids against all those optional... The, with the optional vaccines. So I'm, I'm happy to disclose that um, because I think it does... It does, more than anything, show that I'm not particularly that I don't sort of buy into it's the, the rumours about perceived harms from yes. these yeah. vaccinations because I've essentially put my, my children right into that into that situation and and that I think that well, lots of patients Find appreciate that. Find that pretty powerful. That. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. It's powerful in a way that other things just aren't, I guess. Yeah, but I guess I would be very cautious, like Anthea said, about very specific situations Um yeah, bringing too much of yourself into it. It can get a little bit blurred. Mm. You're listening to Radiotherapy on 3RRR and it's our special Mother's Day edition today. We're talking all the things about being a mum and a health professional and how the two roles overlap. And you're listening to myself, Dr Autonomy, mother of a two-year-old boy, um, Miss Medic, local GP and mother to two young kids, and Dr Anthea Rhodes, Director of Australian Child Health Poll and also paediatrician at the Royal Children's Hospital, mother of three young children. It's our special Mother's Day event and we're talking all things mothering and health professional. Miss Medic, we often chat about... We often chat. (laughs) We often chat. And the content of our chat is often me picking up the phone and saying, what do you think about this? Can I just quickly pick your brains about that? And I feel like I'm allowed to do that as your best mate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm glad you agree. (laughs) But I know that it's a common thing for you to be asked questions by lots of people in your life, including people in the playground. I mean, what could be more wonderful than a fellow mum in the playground who happens to be a GP that you can just quickly bend their ear and ask them a question? Yeah. What are the top questions you get asked? So I get asked quite a few questions and I just want to say before I start, I, I there'll be some, I'm sure there's some health professionals out there that go, oh, I don't want to be asked, I'm not at work. And generally that's not my feeling on this because I think that one of the things that makes us, um, that helps us get through challenging times is leaning on the people around us and seeking advice and support from people in our community. And I can't separate the fact out that I'm a doctor. It's kind of like 
that is me now. It has become who I am. It's not something I can just a hat I can take off and put down. It's a hundred percent who I am. And so I actually don't mind at all being asked questions by people around me. However, I am careful in the kind of advice that I give and I know my limitations about when this, you know, this is a situation where I'm not going to really, I'm not going to take this on, but I'm going to give advice about seeking other help. So I'm going to give my top five questions encountered in the schoolyard. Um, Number one, I think the most common thing that I'll get asked is, along the lines of this is going on should I get it checked out and this is a really easy one because in general my answer is yes my answer (laughs) is always yes if you're wondering whether this is a problem whether this warrants someone reviewing it and taking a full history and examining and doing all the important things that that are involved in making a um a comment on whether something's a problem or not then yes I think that you should um I like I th- that. It's sort of like is it, if it's playing on your mind enough to ask someone else, should I get it checked out, then you probably should. Absolutely. Agreed. That's it. And I think that in, part of this is creates a little bit of a, a, a paradigm shift. I think for a long time people think that it's only worth going to see a doctor if you get a script at the end of the consult and I 100% don't believe that to be true. If what you get at the end of a consult is a bit more of a clearer picture of what's going on, a plan of how to manage something, a plan for what to do should things worsen or progress or change, then that's still a worthwhile consult. And a bit of peace of mind. I mean, how valuable is a bit of peace Absolutely. of mind sometimes? Yeah. And, you know, occasionally I'll still get people say, oh, well, you know, I, sh- I didn't need to bring them in if you're not going to do anything. Well, that's absolutely not true because those those sorts of circumstances are important for us to see. There's still a plan in place so that you have a very clear idea of what to look for, what would then change the circumstances in order to, you know, need to be seen urgently. So I think that that's always, it's always worthwhile to get someone, you know, to get something checked off if it's playing on your mind, if you're worried about your child, if you're worried about your own health. Get it checked out properly. Nice. So that's number one. Number two, I often get asked about recommendations for other GPs or specialists, and this I'm absolutely happy to give. And I think certainly speak to the people around you, find out who they're happy with, who is a great GP in the area, and go and see them. Like, take actually choose your GP and maintain that contact with that sort of central person, we know that that leads to better health outcomes. Um, sometimes I get asked if, peop- if people can, they can come and see me. Mm. And generally my answer is probably not. If we are in, if we have a relationship that exists outside of the medical, so the doctor-patient relationship, then things can get a little bit blurry and, you know, I potentially can't make the kind of objective call that I need to be able to make as a doctor and perhaps they would withhold some of the information, you know, or paint it in a different light given they know me in other circumstances. So I'm very happy to give recommendations but generally I would not treat family or friends. There's something to really be said for that completely objective, removed professional. Uh, And look, this is something that as, you know, 
health professionals and mothers we encounter all the time with our own kids. Like, can yes. we actually look at our children and make an objective decision? I mean, uh, and Anthea and I have spoken about this we many have, times. Yeah. We sort of feel like sometimes we fluctuate from downplaying everything, like, that'll be right, that'll be right, that'll be right, to, oh, my God, is this leukaemia? Like, it, sometimes <laughs> you can't find that that you know that true objectivity you seem to you can easily flip from being like i want to rule out the most severe and horrible outcome or like downplaying everything mm. as well and not being able to see when something might be sort of changing mm. in front of you um number three rashes <laughs> Okay, at least, at least because I'm a paediatrician, I don't get any adults asking me to look at their rash. I say, look, if you're sort of growing hair in certain places, I, you are beyond my area of expertise. I will send you along to Mel and her colleagues. So one of the very, very much the upsides of paediatrics is a lot of rashes and I get a lot of that as well. Can yep. you take a quick look at this rash? Or I, nowadays I get photos. Yeah, yep. people oh. text, me, text me Text photos. photos of rashes. I do get this too. And this can be really tricky because yeah. rashes can, range from the very, very, very boring and benign to significant problems. Um, and I think particularly if you're just looking at a photo of a rash, you're not getting enough information no. because rashes need to be, it needs to all be taken in the context of what else is going on. Is the child unwell? Is there other signs or symptoms going on? You know, have they got fevers and things like that? So look, I do try to avoid the rash comment. <laughs> Like I generally, <laughs> I do don't like do to be that? rash exactly. when it comes to rashes. Um, I generally, that's what, a time where I'll say you should really get that checked out. Yeah, look, I think sometimes though there are some rashes that are benign and oh, if you yeah. get enough info from people to feel reassured, then occasionally I will make a comment about a rash. Yeah. Um, to, to, because for parents, I think rashes are really hard. They're one of those things that really do... Scare people. Yeah, they yeah. incite panic and they'll be lined up. They've got the car ready. They're off to ED. And, you know, it, it might be that it is something quite simple and w acknowledging that you have to be really cautious about that. But yeah. where, where it is appropriate... Um, making a comment to kind of avoid unnecessary panic, I yeah. have done. But, yeah, there's certainly cases where you, you really can't make a call, particularly on a picture alone. And if people are worried, it gets back to point number one. If you're worried, well, you've already made the decision, actually. Yeah. You probably mm. need to get checked out. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and this is similar. Number four is cough. I do get a... I have had the phone call, like, listen to this cough. <laughs> What's going on here? Is, is With a phone your child or your dog? Or your <laughs> yeah, exactly. And similar to rash, it can make... It, it can be really hard because it's just one sign and we want to take in all the whole picture. Um, there are some, like rashes, there are some coughs that are just really characteristic and you can kind of pick it. But still, I try to avoid making too much of a call because even with those sort of really characteristic coughs like croup, you really need lots more information about what else is going on for this kid and where do they sit in the level of severity and whether they need some intervention or not. Um, so, yeah, cough's another one I'd sort of say, go get that one checked out. <laughs> um, and... Number five is what we've already alluded to and that's a bit about advice on immunisations and at this time of year, particularly flu. So I get asked this commonly, like, what do you think, what do you, what do you recommend when it comes to kids and the flu vaccine? What, what would you do with your, what do you do with your kids? Uh, this is a really common one or the new menentococcal and... Um, 
I'm, this is something I'm really happy to talk to people about. I, you know, I feel like I, there's, I still, adv- I, you know, I still advise they go and speak to their own general practitioner. But I say, look, my advice is that I, I think that the flu vaccine is important. Um, it, it can, flu can affect young children quite severely um and i do believe it is you know a safe vaccine and similarly with meningococcal but we do have an expert on this in the studio so yeah, yeah. look there's my lead into flu vaccine to anthea rhodes director <laughs> we, of australian child health poll which has most recently been all about vaccination <laughs> it has and we specifically looked at the flu vaccine and released our findings just um this week on that actually and found that around a third of australian parents told us they were intending to vaccinate their kids for flu this year a further third said they were not and a third were unsure were a bit confused and the what we also found was lots of parents were confused about the flu virus itself and the flu vaccine. So only around a quarter of parents felt that healthy kids can get seriously unwell from the flu, which is untrue. About 20% of parents said, oh, the flu's not really a serious disease. That's why I'm not really worried about it. So again, one of those myths, we do know that flu is common. It is serious, can be devastating in some instances, and that healthy kids under five years of age are the group most likely to get serious complications and wind up in hospital from flu. We also found that among those parents who have chosen to chat to their GP about the flu, Around half of GPs said, yep, you should go and give it to you, go ahead and give it to your child. And around half either recommended against or didn't give a recommendation either way. And yet the guidelines are that it is recommended for all kids from six months of age. So I think lots of myths out there and confusion about flu vaccination and really important where we can to share that message and educate families about the benefits of flu vaccine. That was news to me, reading about that, that all children over six months should be getting the flu vax. That's not something I knew and it's not something I was planning on doing. And actually, Miss Medic, I was planning on having a quick chat to you about it after the show today. So we've, we've just negated the need to do that now. Yeah, well, you're not alone. You know, the, the majority of Australian parents are right there with you. And I think that probably speaks to the need for us to educate and spread the word and also to some of our GPs who perhaps are still a bit on the fence around really where the position is on flu vaccination. Mm. But a Especially those young kids, kids under five, they're a group that are a target, not just in Australia, but also with the World Health Organisation for flu vaccination. You're listening to Radiotherapy on 3RRR with myself, Dr Autonomy, Miss Medic and Dr Anthea Rhodes. And this is our Mother's Day special edition. We're talking all things mumming and health professional combined. You're listening to Radiotherapy on 3RRR and you're with myself, Dr Autonomy, Miss Medic and Dr Anthea Rhodes, all mums and all health professionals for our Mother's Day edition today. Do you know what we'd really love to know? We'd really love to know what you do when your own kids get sick. Do you write the prescriptions? Do you treat them or do you actually take them to another doctor? Miss Medic. This is a really tricky one. (laughs) Um, It is not best practice to treat your family, I think, is the first thing to say. It is not illegal to write scripts for family members as long as they are a certain category of medication. So not... Um, medic- medications that could be abused or or um, or could be sold on. So those what we call opiates, you know, benzodiazepines. So medications of potential abuse. Um, so the other category of medication you can prescribe, except in South Australia where it's illegal to prescribe for family. Um, 
So to answer the question... So what do you do? I, but what do I do? So I avoid this, but I have prescribed for my family in the past when there's been a very clear situation where there hasn't been any doubt in my mind about what's going on and in the situation where I haven't been able to seek outside medical attention easily. So say on a... Sunday afternoon when my daughter gets excruciating ear pain, which in the setting of what was going on for her was by morning she would have perforated her eardrum due to an, an ear infection. In that situation, I might write a script and go and fill it so I can start antibiotics pronto to try and get on top of it. So it's very rare, but I have done it. Why only rarely, given that you're a GP, you've got all the knowledge, why would you even bother taking her to someone else when you can do it and it's not illegal? Because exactly what we said before, I think it's that acknowledging that I can't always see things perfectly clearly when it comes to my kids and that in I have a trusted GP who I see and my children see and if possible I would much rather just see her and let her make the call. Yeah, I think that um, this is a really tricky one and my husband's a um, medico as well, a doctor, and in my house, he's not a paediatrician though, so what happens in my house when we have a sick kid is, well, you're the paediatrician, what are we (laughs) going to do? And it's like, well, I'm actually the mother and you're probably more objective here than I am. And he's like, well, you're the mother, so what are we going to (laughs) do? So, you know, it all falls to me. But I, I think I've done this badly at times and I've done this well at other times and at the end of the day um, I do know that my objectivity is absolutely lost and blurred when it comes to my own kids. I think about my youngest child who had a febrile, so fever, fever-like illness or an illness with fever for a period of days and I, the minute you have a sick child you're already treating them whether it's with a script or not and I know the question was about a script but you're already making a decision about what's happening and even not getting a script or not seeking help is part of treatment if you like and so we looked after him for over a week with a bad fever and I felt he had a virus because we'd all been sick and when it got to day eight and he was really very very irritable and really clearly not well and we finally went into hospital it turned out that he was very sick and he actually had something called Kawasaki disease and we were there for a while and he he needed all kinds of treatment it was very obvious what he had when I turned up because it was day eight and you have to have fever for seven days for a really clear diagnosis so the going back and forth to a couple of people before we'd finally got to the diagnosis was ruled out probably but you know it was really obvious to me at that point that I had just lost my objectivity for him and should have presented much earlier for mm. intervention. When it comes to other kids, you know, seeing other people's children, it's 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 easy. You're, you're looking at it from a distance and you're looking at it with all the information. But when it comes to your own kids, really, really hard. So something that, you know, that's a few years ago now and what I learnt at that time was to, to seek help earlier and I've got a great GP and, you know, continue to see her when I need to. And I think that it's a really hard one for healthcare professionals because you also don't want to be sort of the person who's seeking help when it seems obvious or too early because you feel like you should know better. But you can't know better when it comes to your own kids. Mm. Yeah, and I've definitely been in that situation too. And I, and I, I always go back to thinking if the worst thing 
that can happen in this situation is that I feel a little bit like an idiot for presenting with something that is not, um, you know, not serious. So I had a, a situation not that long ago when, when my daughter developed really severe left-sided chest pain. Now, the doctor in me was like, this is not going to be cardiac in my otherwise, or heart-related, in my otherwise very well seven-year-old girl. Um, this is not going to be anything to worry about. But when she's screaming in pain and I just think... Oh, what do I do here? Like, I just need someone else to look at her for me. Um, and so I sought help. And, you know, it turned out to be nothing. And um, part of my medical ego goes, oh, you, you know, you knew that would wasn't going to be anything. But I would much rather that be the fall than it being that, you know, something very rare or, you know, there was something significant going on for my daughter and I had just avoided seeking help because I didn't w- want to look like a bit of an idiot. And as I hear you both talk, I can't help but think, you know, what perfect advice for mothers all over, even mothers who aren't health professionals. You know, if the worst that's going to happen is you go in to see your GP or you go to the hospital and they say there's nothing to worry about, you know, that's not an awful situation. No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And so if you are really worried, if it's something that's really, you know, really unusual then just seek yeah seek Mm. some help i think along those lines i've just got one vaguely amusing story that i'll (laughs) share it's actually not to do with treating my children but it is to do with treating family members and writing scripts my husband wrote a script for me the only time he ever has actually which was for an antibiotic um for for a urinary tract infection sharing everything here now (laughs) (laughs) and um it happened to be um on the day of my hen's day and we were away and it was a bit difficult for me to get access to seeing a doctor easily so we thought okay he'll write this script anyway it was an antibiotic i hadn't taken before and of course as luck would have it i had an allergic reaction which um is called idiopathic angioedema and people out there who are medicos might know what that means but essentially it's like a rapid onset reasonably severe swelling of the lips so this is what proceeded to happen to me over the 20 minutes after taking this antibiotic before I was heading out for a big lunch and you know with with all these friends and I the upside at that point, I guess, was I went on to then not only had he treated me, then I treated myself <laughs> with some um, steroids and some antihistamines and it all settled down and I didn't have a kind of severe life-threatening allergic reaction. But from that minute on that day, we sort of said, you know what, we're not writing scripts <laughs> for each other or anyone in our family because mm-hmm. you just never know. And that's really rare. And as it happened, it was not life-threatening. But you know what, it could have been um, a situation where it was much more severe. And then you're, you're carrying that as well, the burden. Mm-hmm. That comes with that, mm. so there, there, um, yeah, there was a lesson in that for us, and I think that when it comes to writing scripts, as much as we can, avoiding it for people who are our nearest and dearest is wise. Mm-hmm. I love these personal anecdotes. More, more, more. <laughs> I want to change tack now just for a bit because, as I said at the beginning of the show. Mother's Day is not a joyful day for everyone and I think as health professionals we can become very aware of that with with people who we see, you know, particularly in, in psychology. And I just think on any, you know, big day that celebrates a certain part of life, you know, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, you know, Christmas and New Year's, it can be tough as well. It's important to acknowledge the people for whom today is a really challenging, difficult day. And I'm sure as you sit and think about it, you can come up with your own examples of why today might be difficult for people. But 
I guess some of the most obvious ones that come to mind for me are firstly women out there who desperately want to be mums and for whom it's just not happening and and perhaps will never happen because of either biology or circumstance but that's a a very painful daily existence to live within and never more so painful than on Mother's Day when all the mums around you are celebrating. Also another category of people who come to mind are people who have lost their mum you know whose mums aren't around on this day you know it of course just pushes that sore point today when everyone is spending time with their mums <sighs> the other thing that comes to mind are mothers out there who have lost a child which I know is so hard to think about um, but is a reality for some people and I can't imagine what today must be like for them also people out there who just have a difficult relationship with their mums perhaps their their mum is around but it, it's not a simple um, easy relationship and that can be really challenging on days like today and also mums out there who have very challenged relationships with their children in life today can be very challenging and also just mums out there who are struggling with the weight of motherhood you know it's we all know at times it can be a, a heavy burden and responsibility to carry and it's not always light and beautiful so those mothers come to mind for me as well and I'm sure there's groups that I have missed but I think it's really important to to sort of give a shout out to all of those people for whom today is a tough day. Mm-hmm. And I guess in line with that, I just wanted to mention a couple of uh, avenues for support if today is a tough day for you and perhaps your usual supports around are busy doing other things today, a couple of go-tos for you can be, as always, Lifeline. Pick up the phone and have a talk to someone there and the number is 131114. And also Panda, which is a perinatal anxiety and depression service, um, their number is 1300 726 306. You can also find those numbers online and we'll put them up on our Facebook Facebook page at the end of today, but I thought that was worth mentioning. We are going to go to oh, Anthea. I was just going to say, I think along those lines as well, what would be really nice and what we perhaps don't see enough of on Mother's Day is the idea of recognising just the concept of mothering, which extends beyond mm. biological mothers of children. So mothering really, uh, to me, is about, and, and in the dictionary, if you like, not that I've referred to it lately, but I'm sure is, is not just about being a biological parent to a child, but also about the nurturing and raising of children or young people in our society or in our community. And that's not just done by biological mothers. It's done, and importantly so, by aunts and other figures in lots of children's teachers, lives. So teachers. Many, yeah. there, are, there are so many different ways in which um, children are nurtured and raised and mothered and I think Mother's Day gets reduced down to this you know oversimplified notion of the biological mother having the breakfast in bed which is what we all talked about when we started today <laughs> and and the commercialism that comes with that but in fact as a concept it's much bigger and it would be really nice if we pulled back and thought about that and like there are so many important women in the lives of my children mm. who contribute to mothering them and it's it's certainly not something that I do alone nor can I do it alone and I think everyone coming together to kind of mother kids as a society is really what would be nice to celebrate on Mother's Day. So important. Absolutely. You're back listening to Radiotherapy on 3RRR and you're with myself, Dr Autonomy, Miss Medic and Dr Anthea Rhodes and we're doing our special Mother's Day edition of Radiotherapy today talking all things about being a mum and a health professional all at once. 
Rounding out our Mother's Day show today, I thought we could finish with you, Anthea, because as well as being a mum to three kids, you're director of the Australian Child Health Poll. And I think the first ever poll that happened was about what do Australians think are the top health concerns for children in Australia? Absolutely, it was. It's about 18 months ago now that we ran that poll. So this project, Australian Child Health Poll, is about asking the parents of Australia what they think about child health issues, what their experiences are, their perspectives, their opinions, and getting some data on that, some evidence, so that we can take it and look at it alongside the evidence of the experts, if you like, and um, other voices in the field. So we started this project by asking what parents thought were a big, was a big deal when it came to the health issues of their children. And they told us really pretty loudly that the issues all related to modern lifestyle. Mm. At the top of the list, parents were worried about screen time excessive screen time across Australia this was considered most frequently as a big problem in the health and lives of children that's the one that I found most surprising that that came out number one because I don't immediately think of screen time as a health concern yeah that's right and I think that in itself is really interesting because if it's a problem where do people go for help with it? It's not really even recognised within our system as a health concern and yet we've got, you know, 60% of Australian parents saying this is a big problem for children today and yet we've really not got much of a system or pathway for how we're going to tackle that. Other issues on the list were also lifestyle-related, so obesity, lack of physical activity, unhealthy diet. These were all the things that were worrying and are worrying Australian families when it comes to kids. And, you know, this is what I see in my practice as well when I see families... You've only got to ask a couple of questions about those issues and lots of families have got concerns. But they're not a big part at the moment of day-to-day healthcare service models. So a big challenge for the health system. Miss Medic, do you find any of those questions coming up in your day-to-day practice? Absolutely. Um, and this is a, it's a really hard one because there are lots of people out there go, well, they're not medical problems, they're parenting problems. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I get that. But, like, it's a very... As a as a parent, you know, some of these things are really hard to shift from because we are all so busy. And screen times, screen time for children, I can, you know, all of us know that ideally, I, I, I reckon most parents out there think that their children are having too much screen time. But how do you pair it back? And what are the consequences of that? And when you're trying to do a million things yourself and you've got... <laughs> You know, a three or four year old who will be quiet for half an hour with the with an iPad, then you can see how these these sorts of behaviours develop, and and um, and the unhealthy eating. You know, it is challenging to get home in time to put to get meals done and all those sorts of things. So, it's about all of us. It's about our lives, how busy we are, and it's such a it's such a common problem. And, of course, there are health repercussions. Yeah, and I think, well, the next poll, which is coming out sort of uh, early to mid-June, looks entirely at the issue of screen use. And um, recently I was at a really interesting conference relating to this, TOTS and Tech. And what was really (laughs) interesting... TOTS and Tech. That's it. (laughs) What was interesting to me then and there is that this is actually the new normal. Mm. So, you know, whilst we're still all talking about 
back in the day and what we did before screens, that's only going to happen for so long, actually. And, you know, where have the generation moving out? And there are parents coming on board now who themselves have, you know, grown up with a certain amount of technology. And so we're not really... We've moved beyond screen time, if you like. It's about screen use and screen practices. And screens are here. They're part of life. They're here to stay. And what we really... The challenge now for us as a society, and that includes healthcare providers, it includes people in education, policy makers, is to work out how we make the best use of this technology and these tools so that it doesn't compromise the development and health of our kids and our adults, but especially our kids. It's a big challenge. We, you know, we have to think we've only had uh, iPhones for 10 years and we've been around how long? Mm. on the planet (laughs) and yet look at the way everyone lives. So the implications, we're only just starting really to get a taste or a feel for how everyone's going to be with all of this on board and there's a big journey ahead. Mm. I can't help but think as we talk about some of these concerns around children, that they reflect our own struggles as adults in the world, you know? I I have my own struggles in how much screen time I use and how tempted I am to get my phone out every time I'm sitting on a tram or stopped at red lights or, you know, my own impulse control around it. And, of course, that's going to flow into how I parent. Same stuff with, you know, number two on the list, obesity, you know. Adults have our own struggles about... how to eat right and get enough exercise and, and, and manage our health. We all know what we should be doing, but fitting that into a busy lifestyle is is so difficult. And as I sit here and, and listen to you talk about this, I, I just have this sense that the things we often struggle with with our children are the things that we struggle with as, as people in the world as well. That's right. So, you know, dealing with an infectious disease that you might write a script for as a healthcare provider is going to be, you know, so much more straightforward than dealing with a parent who sits in front of you and says, I think my teenager's addicted to gaming, you know. So working out how the healthcare profession is going to accommodate these new needs and burdens when it comes to lifestyle and health is is a big challenge. Mm -hmm. But we certainly found all of those typical problems or perhaps typical is not the right word, more traditional health problems relating to things like accidents, injuries, infectious disease, cancers. They're all there on the list, but they're of much less uh, relatively lower level Mm. of concern to most Australian families because they're not the day-to-day lived experience of people Mm. now. Fortunately, you know, Mm. we've been pretty clever about a lot of things in health and we've improved dramatically what what, um, the healthcare trajectory looks like for kids in lots of ways but now we're seeing you know other stuff with every solution there's a perhaps a new problem Mm. now we are just about at the end of our special mother's day edition of radiotherapy and i feel the very pressing need to acknowledge one very important man in the studio that we haven't talked about yet and that is kent who has been pushing all the buttons and making all the music play and all the announcements for us uh so smoothly as we've just been chatting amongst ourselves in such a delightful way so thanks kent I have thoroughly enjoyed this hour, ladies. Thank you for putting it all on the table as mums and as health professionals. And I hope we get to do lots more of it. Absolutely. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day. Absolutely. Happy Mother's Day. And a, a nod to all the healthcare professionals who are out there at work now. Yes. yes. All the Not at home all getting the their breakfast in today. bed. Absolutely. Not just healthcare professionals, but all mums working. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.